0: Today in the Matt Wall Show, a white teenager was stomped to death by a group of black men. This week, jurors decided to convict the assailants only of assault. And this is just the latest case where juries across the country, egged along by prosecutors, are letting violent murderers off the hook if they have the right skin color. Also, the media laments the humanitarian crisis down on the border, but who's to blame for it and what should be done about it? And John Fetterman introduces a bill that would grant student loan deferment to rape and harassment victims. It's a good thing that a system like that could just never be abused at all. In our daily cancellation, a new dating show on HBO Max features fully nude contestants. Has pop culture finally reached rock bottom? Of course not. We'll talk about all that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. Vladimir Putin called the U.S. dollar's drop in dominance objective and irreversible as Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa formally agreed to use local currencies in trade instead of the U.S. dollar as demand for the dollar weakens, the buying power of the dollar weakens. And that is why birch gold is busier than ever. Investors and savers are looking to harness the power of physical gold held in a tax-sheltered IRA. And you can too. You can protect your IRA or 401k by diversifying with gold from birch gold. As the U.S. dollar continues to receive pressure from foreign countries, digital currency, and central banks, Arm yourself with information on how to protect your savings. Learn if gold is right for you, too. Text Walsh to 989898, and they'll send you a free info kit on gold with an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, thousands of happy customers, and countless five-star reviews. I trust Birch Gold to help you diversify into gold. If a central bank digital currency ever becomes a reality, it'll be nice to have some gold to depend on. Again, text Walsh to 989898. The idea of jury nullification has been around since this country had juries. The idea is pretty simple. Juries can vote to acquit defendants, even when the government proves its case beyond a reasonable doubt. If you serve on a jury and you listen to all the evidence, you can still vote not guilty and you can walk right out of the courthouse and tell everyone that the guy did it, but you didn't care. Maybe you didn't like the law. Maybe you didn't like the prosecutor. Maybe you were just having a bad day. Whatever it is, it's your right to vote to acquit. The defendant will walk. And the judge and the government can't do anything about it. In the history of this country, jury jury nullification has been especially prominent in periods of open race hatred. During the 19th century, juries often refused to convict people who were accused of of helping escape slaves in violation of the Fugitive Slave Act. And later, in the Civil Rights era, uh, some all-white juries would acquit people who clearly committed acts of violence against blacks. So there are clearly good uses of jury nullification, and there are bad uses of it as you would expect. But on balance, this is a feature, not a bug of our judicial system. That's the conventional wisdom anyway. What's not conventional wisdom, because no one's talking about it, even on the right, is that jury nullification is making a major comeback right now. And this is not the jury nullification that Supreme Court justices like John Jay endorsed back in the day. I'm talking about a return of the civil rights era of jury nullification, where juries egged on by prosecutors in some cases, refuse to punish racist criminals who are obviously guilty. Only this time, the criminals are not white, they're black. This is widespread at the moment in this country. It is impossible to deny. We have fully imported South African style juries where race and caste matters more than the facts of the case. I'm going to start with uh, one of the most egregious recent examples of the jury nullification that I'm talking about. This is a case involving the brutal killing of a 17-year-old white high school student in Akron, Ohio, named Ethan Lyming. Now, last summer, Ethan Lyming and his friends decided to do some stupid TikTok challenge where they take a toy gel gun and fire it at random people. And Here's the police chief in Akron explaining what the gun looks like and what it does. Watch.
1: Yeah, so the description of this toy and it's targeted for ages 14 and up, is that you take these little beads, you soak them in water, this is my understanding of it, you soak it in water, and then you load this, what they describe as a toy gun, and it shoots these water beads at people, or, or objects, or whatever the target is. When it impacts the target, it like a water balloon, it explodes Um, and then the person is doused with
0: water. Okay, it's important to uh, see what those guns look like because that is obviously a toy water gun. It's very clearly not a real gun. And so Ethan Liming and his friends, armed with this toy water gun, drove around, and, and then they came across several young black men ages 19 to 21 who were playing basketball in a parking lot Near LeBron James's I Promise School, and Liming's friends made the very dumb decision to shoot the water pellets at these black men with the toy gun. Now, evidence at trial, which includes surveillance footage, shows that the black men initially ran away, thinking that they were under attack. But then, probably when they realized what was actually happening—that they weren't in any, the, the, you know, their, their their lives were not in jeopardy—they turned back, and they charged at the car that Liming was in. There was testimony that Lyming fired some water pellets at the men who were now running at him. The key point here is that this was not a split-second thing where the black men attacked in self-defense, thinking the gun was real. They pursued Lyming to get back at him for his prank. What happened next is that Ethan Lyming died a horrible death. When police arrived, they found blood coming from Lyming's mouth, ears, and nose. He hadn't simply been punched in the face and given a black eye, although that's true as well. He had been stomped. He had a broken collarbone. He had multiple blunt force injuries all over his body. The coroner noted that uh, there was a shoe print on his chest. Now, think about the amount of force that's required to leave a shoe print on someone's chest. Think about the savagery involved in that. At trial, the defense argued that Ethan Lyman's killers were in fear for their life because of the toy gun. They weren't mad that they'd been pranked. Instead, they were deathly afraid of the water gun, so so they uh, went to town. Is that plausible? Well, initially, prosecutors didn't think so. That's why they brought murder charges against the men responsible for this killing, which seems obviously appropriate, given the facts of the case. And given that those facts simply don't support a self-defense claim. Again, they pursued him, they assaulted him, and they stomped on him while he was on the ground. It was three against one. And after killing him, they stole his car. So even if we were to accept the outlandish idea that they ran after this guy, still thinking that he was a crazed shooter with a real gun that just so happened to look like a plastic toy gun. Well, by the time they were stomping him to death on the ground, it would have been exceedingly clear to everybody involved that he was not a threat. Also keep in mind that, that at least one of the three assailants had been hit in the face with the water pellet, and you know that couldn't have felt very good, but it does mean that they obviously knew that it was a toy gun. Their lives were not in danger they stomped him to death and they stole his car because they were angry. And, and uh, stomping someone to death and, and killing them because you're mad, is, that's not a legitimate excuse, at least it's not supposed to be in a civilized society. So this was murder, obviously. But the murder charges didn't last long, watch.
2: Police originally charged Deshaun Stafford, his brother Tyler, and their cousin, Donovan Jones, with murder. But in July, a grand jury indicted them on lesser charges. Lining blames the Summit County Prosecutor's Office for that decision. He doesn't believe all of the facts were presented. Akron Police said back in June, race was not a factor in the killing.
1: There is nothing that we have in our possession right now, any information at all, indicating that race played a role in this homicide,
0: nothing. You get the idea. There are a couple things about this. First of all, if the prosecutors had wanted the grand jury to indict on murder charges, they could have done that. That's not really in dispute, especially after the Trump prosecutions, where the grand jury wanted to indict everyone who's ever talked to Trump, and uh, and they did. So everyone knows how grand juries work in this country. You know the saying about a grand jury could indict a ham sandwich because you can you, prosecutors could get anybody indicted with the grand with by a grand jury. Um, there's no defense counsel present. Prosecutors can basically say whatever they want to the grand jury, and they can indict anyone for any crime. So why didn't prosecutors want murder charges here? Why did they effectively downgrade to a much less serious offense, which is involuntary manslaughter? Liming's father spoke to local media about the prosecutor's decision, and he says that at least one prosecutor said that his son got what he deserved in the form of hood justice. Watch.
1: Between the detectives and the prosecutors, described that prosecutor's meeting as being very contentious, Um, Some of the prosecutors wanting felonious assault charges and murder charges others basically wanting no charges at all with one of the prosecutors um, Saying that Ethan received hood justice, which was a new term to me. I was unfamiliar with that terminology hood justice um, And I guess implying that Ethan got what he deserved
0: Hood justice that's from a prosecutor now You can believe what Liming's father says or you can choose not to believe it whatever the case It's objectively true that Involuntary manslaughter is an absurdly lenient charge when you pummel someone on the ground after he fired a water gun at you. Involuntary manslaughter makes sense when you're speeding and you hit somebody in a crosswalk. you know. But when you're standing over somebody with a child's toy, causing blood to come out of every orifice of his body, you're probably committing a voluntary act called murder. At the very least, you'd think that it'd be up to a jury to decide whether it's murder or not. But prosecutors in Akron didn't see it that way, so the murder charge was off the table. And just by doing that, just by removing the prospect of murder from the case, prosecutors sent a very clear signal to jurors. And the signal is that this was all an accident at worst. Nobody really intended anyone to die. And just to reiterate that point, the prosecutors offered jurors another option, which is that they could also convict the thugs of assault. Which is interesting. So you could convict them of assaulting someone until they die, but then not convict them of the actual murder or manslaughter. Well, it doesn't make any sense, but lo and behold, that's exactly what happened. This week, Ethan Liming's killers got off with a, with a conviction for assault. That's it. They were acquitted of involuntary manslaughter. It's as if they just got into a nasty bar fight or something. They stomped somebody to death, and all they're getting is an assault charge. Conviction, rather. So they'll almost certainly be out of jail within two years, if not sooner. This is jury nullification encouraged by prosecutors. There's no other term that you can use to describe this. And it's it's not just happening in Akron. Consider that just a few weeks ago, a jury found that a member of a black nationalist militia named Othel Wallace had committed manslaughter instead of murder after he shot a police officer to death on camera. Wallace shot this officer named Jason Rayner in the head. This was an unprovoked murder. Rayner was responding to a call of suspicious activity in an apartment complex, and Wallace killed him. Again, there's no doubt about that. The murder was caught on body cam. Otha Wallace is not simply a member of a black nationalist black supremacist group. After executing Jason Rayner, Wallace boasted on Instagram about putting pigs in their place. He fled to Georgia, where his black nationalist group called NFAC for not effing around coalition helped him hide. Wallace also cut his dreadlocks to hide his appearance. And all of this came out in trial watch.
1: And then you say these crackers and the power on speaking to them.
0: Yeah, but he also said something about me getting banned. Is Instagram a bunch of crackers? I'm not sure if it is, but- You
1: refer to that as law enforcement officers. Crap. No,
0: sir, no, sir.
1: Okay, well, you refer to law enforcement as a case, don't you? No, sir. In fact, after you killed Officer Rayner or shot him, you went on Instagram and you posted that I, I'm not going to let these pigs do anything to me, correct?
0: Say it to them. I
1: said, yes, I did refer to as pigs, but when I say the word pigs, I'm not specifically always talking about police officers. What was she talking about? I'm talking about people who don't see me as human. Okay, so when you shot Officer radar you referred to him as a pig, and all the other people as pigs, the officers, correct? No, not just, all, not just when I said it. Again, I'm referring to people who don't see me as human. Sure.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, so he shot the police officer and killed him and then talked about uh, pigs. But he wasn't talking about police officers. I mean, you can't imagine. Can you imagine that going the other way? Somebody uh, uh, kills, a, a, a murders a black man and then later uh, posts on social media using the N-word. And then he's asked about it. He said, well, no, it's unrelated. I didn't, and I say N-word. I mean, that guy could have been referring to anybody. It wasn't really race-based necessarily. Like, there's no way that argument would be bought in court. But after that testimony that you just saw, after shooting a police officer in the face and killing him, Otha Wallace was convicted of manslaughter, not murder, which carries a possible death sentence. Manslaughter. The local sheriff said that he was quote that he never uh, quote he he never he had never been more disgusted by a verdict in his entire career, and you can see why. Again, this is not simply jury nullification. This is race-based jury nullification that that prosecutors are encouraging. In some cases, they're not even leaving it to the juries. They're offering murderers really attractive plea deals to short-circuit the whole trial process altogether. Remember the uh, 41-year-old guy in North Dakota named Shannon Brandt? He confessed to killing uh, Kaler Ellingson, who was a teenager. And why did he do that? Well, Brandt was drunk, and he assumed that that uh, when Ellingson was on the phone with his mom, that he was really communicating with some sort of MAGA Republican militia. So Brandt ran Ellingson over with his Ford Explorer, killed him, and, and then he fled the scene. And that's murder. But Shannon Brandt wasn't charged with murder. Instead, he was hit with manslaughter charges instead. Prosecutors offered him those charges as part of a plea deal, which, of course, he accepted. And there are many more examples like this. There's the case of uh, James McGee, who used a metal pipe to bludgeon a 62-year-old cab driver named Arif Mohamed Kasim to death back in 2019. He literally beat his brains out. San Francisco's DA at the time let McGee plead to involuntary manslaughter in the name of equity after beating someone to death with a lead pipe. The same thing happened to uh, the killer of Seth Smith, a Berkeley student who was shot in the back of the head at point-blank range by a lifelong criminal named Tony Walker. And the moment that homicide detectives reached out to Walker, he explained that he was, uh, he was frustrated that they cared about Smith's death to begin with. He said, quote, a white kid gets killed and the, and the damn whole world stops. F that white mother effort. That's what he said to the cops. How did prosecutors respond? Well, they offered Tony Walker a plea of manslaughter. That's despite the fact that a probation officer determined that, quote, the defendant has demonstrated that he is a danger to the community and needs to be separated for the community's protection. The defendant has established an entrenched pattern of criminal conduct that probation, prison, and parole have been unable to eradicate. Nevertheless, Tony Walker was not brought up on hate crime charges or thrown in prison for life, as he would be if he were white. This was not a repeat of the Ahmaud Arbery case with the races reversed. Instead, prosecutors let Tony Walker take a manslaughter plea. And for good measure, lawmakers in Berkeley later prevented police from running most parolee searches like the one that led cops to apprehend Walker in the first place. And we can go on and on listing examples, but there's one more very recent one that we need to fit in here. Um, a man named Calvin Ushery, uh, he brutally assaulted, pistol whipped, and robbed a jewelry store owner. And the whole thing was caught on camera, plain as day. But guess what happened at trial? Watch. New at 11 tonight, a jury could not reach a verdict in a brutal attack and robbery of a Wilmington jewelry store owner. Calvin Ushery
1: was on trial for various charges, including robbery and assault. After two days of deliberations, a mistrial was declared. This surveillance video was shown during
0: the trial coming up right here. Prosecutors argued Ushery violently attacked the owner of solid gold jewelers back in September of last year. The owner was so badly beaten, he underwent months of rehabilitation. Prosecutors plan to retry the case. The jury couldn't reach a verdict. Ushery is on video walking into a jewelry store, grabbing the store owner, pistol whipping him, stomping on his head and beating him with a hammer before walking off with $100,000 worth of stolen merchandise. He was, he was charged with assault and robbery because, you know, you can see him on camera assaulting and robbing someone. But the jury was deadlocked. They couldn't figure out. They looked at that video and said, I don't know what's happening there. Who knows? It's impossible to tell. Now, we all know why it was deadlocked. There were members of that jury who didn't want to convict a black man, no matter how obviously guilty he was. That's what happened, and we all know it. And this is what's been happening in courtrooms all over the country without any fanfare whatsoever. The left has targeted conservatives, whether they're politicians or pro-lifers or random people posting memes that offend Hillary Clinton. Everybody knows that. But at the same time, all over the country, the primary voting blocks of the Democratic Party are committing the most heinous crimes imaginable, including murder, only for prosecutors and juries to let them off the hook. They're doing it deliberately. And in the process, they have established a true two-tier justice system, a hierarchy where the severity of a crime is judged based on the demographics of those involved. And the lives of victims are ranked based on their race and their politics. Sadly, for the family of Ethan Lyming, he falls at the bottom of that totem pole, which means that there will be no justice for him because we are no longer a country that believes in justice. Now, let's get to our five headlines. <laughs> Before giving our dog Rough Greens, he was so sad and lazy. Now he actually enjoys his squeaky toys and playing fetch with his Frisbee. Our pup's days are filled with laughter, exercise, and endless fun. Naturopathic Dr. Dennis Black, the founder of Rough Greens, is focused on improving the health of every dog in America. Little did I know, before I got Rough Greens, dog food is dead food. Everybody knows that nutrition isn't brown, it's green. Well, you can let Rough Greens boost your dog's food back to life. Rough Greens is a supplement that contains all the necessary vitamins, minerals, probiotics, and omega oils, digestive enzymes, and antioxidants that your dog needs. You don't have to go out and buy new dog food. You just sprinkle Rough Greens on their food every day. Dog owners everywhere are raving about Rough Greens. It supports healthy joints, improves bad breath, boosts energy levels, and so much more. We are what we eat, and that goes for dogs, too. Naturopathic Dr. Dennis Black is so confident Rough Greens will improve your dog's health. He's offering my listeners a free Jumpstart trial bag so your dog can try it. A free Jumpstart trial bag can be at your door in just a few business days. Go to roughgreens.com slash matt. Or call 844-ROUGH-700. That's ruffgreens.com slash Matt or call 844-ROUGH-700 today. The New York Post has uh, this shocking headline that's supposed to uh, pull at your heartstrings. Migrant children pictured howling in pain as they crawl through razor wire to reach the U.S. The article says gut-wrenching images taken by The Post show migrant toddlers crawling through razor wire to reach Eagle Pass, Texas, howling in pain as spikes from the wire stick into their flesh. The photos capture the sheer desperation of the humanitarian crisis playing out on the border with families and even a double amputee crawling through the sharp coils of wire to get a shot at claiming asylum in the U.S., Migrants barely out of diapers are being dumped at the border by heartless cartels, which are using them as decoys to tie up border agents so cartel members can shift drugs and gangsters over more remote areas of the border. And in the pictures um, that are circulating online, you see uh, these very young children who are obviously in pain. They're crawling through the barbed wire. And then you see uh, their, what appear to be their mothers with them, taking them through the barbed wire. Um, Around 11,000 migrants crossed in the U.S. across the Mexico border from Sunday to Monday, making it the single highest day in recent memory, according to Fox News. Texas towns, including Eagle Pass and El Paso, have been flooded with thousands of people seeking refuge over the last week, pushing authorities to a breaking point. Um, And now we're being told about this um, never-ending humanitarian crisis. So we're going back to this well again, you know, the familiar propaganda. Look at these sad pictures. Doesn't this prove that we shouldn't have borders or laws? Oh, you think that we should have borders and laws? You think that we should, you know, be a country? But uh, have, have you seen these, these really sad pictures? Look at the sad pictures. Doesn't that convince you to, to, to never mind? Shouldn't we see the sad pictures and say, well, never mind. Just wave away the whole border. Never mind about the whole border thing that every other country in the world has and has always had and has always protected using violent force if necessary. I mean, clearly by these pictures, they prove that we should be the only country. Well, us and, and uh, Western European countries as well. You know, the West, the modern West should be, should be the only place in the history of the world where, there, where countries, there are no borders at all. That's the conclusion you're supposed to reach when you see the sad pictures. Um, but it doesn't actually prove that at all. If anything, it proves the opposite. The people flooding across the southern border, fleeing from the failed state where they live, um, are very good evidence that enforcing law and maintaining a border is extremely important, because we don't want to end up like that. And also, of course, when you have a porous border, and the uh, the so-called migrants, otherwise known as illegal aliens, know that they can just cross through, and if they make it through, that they can that they'll be here and they won't be sent home. Well, the more that you have that, the more you incentivize people to come. Which is why, as I've always said, and as many people on the right have said, you know, the, the, uh, the right thing to do is to have a border that is strictly enforced, um, you know, you, you have, where you have armed men on the border, violently enforce the border if necessary, like so many other countries do, and they get no grief for it at all. Um, that's not only the right thing to do because you're protecting the sovereignty of the country, it is also the most compassionate thing for the so-called migrants. Because it lets them know, don't even attempt it. It's not worth it. Don't even try. Now, to me, it's no different than this. It's like, uh, you know, you can you can show me very sad pictures of homeless people in the streets. Um, and I might look at those pictures and I might say, well, that's a very sad thing. That's not going to convince me that I myself shouldn't live in a home and shouldn't lock my doors and maintain the security and integrity of my home again. It convinces me the opposite, because I don't want to end up like that. I don't want my children to end up like that. So I have a home with walls and a roof, and I lock the door and 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 all of that. And also, if one of those homeless guys just tries to walk into my home uninvited, even if I, you know, from uh, from a distance intellectually, I can understand his desperation, and you could say, well, if you were homeless, well, what would you do? Uh, I don't know what I would do if I was homeless. Um, I can sympathize with the plight, but if that homeless guy says, I'm, I'm tired of being homeless and I don't want to be out on the street anymore, and he says, I'm just going to walk into my and he just decides to walk into my house, uh, well, he's not going to be allowed to do that. And if he tries to, he's going to be met with violent force. I uh, feel sorry for the homeless guy, but I also have a home that I have to maintain. And a family I have to protect, and that has to be my first priority. And so it's very simple. Same goes for the border and our country as a whole. This is our our collective home, and we have to protect it for the same reason. Also, but the, but the real point is, when you look at pictures like this, and the headline is, oh, uh, these migrant children are, are, are uh, crawling through barbed wire. Isn't it a terrible thing? It is a terrible thing, by the way. Like the pictures, I it's not the pictures are fake. The pictures are real. This is not uh, this is not a deep fake, right? This is not AI generated. These are actual uh, human children that are that are crawling through barbed wire. It's a terrible, terrible thing. I hate to see anybody in pain. I especially hate to see uh, children in pain. But who's the real villain there? Okay, obviously it's the parents dragging their kids through barbed wire. That's the headline, right? Um, what was the, Their headline was Migrant children pictured howling in pain As they crawl through razor wire to reach the US The real headline you know, Here's an alternate headline Is um, abusive Insane mothers Drag their children Through razor wire And should be arrested for it Like, like that's the actual headline So anytime we hear about These uh, terrible stories of the things that that, that, uh, that children go through and things that happen to children in the process of uh, being dragged across the border or through the desert to, to eventually try to sneak across the border. Anytime we hear these stories, and it is very sad, but it's, it's always th- the fault lies on the adults who are putting the children in this situation. This is why you don't take your child and cross a desert and try to sneak through a, a border. And crawl, take them through razor wire. That's why you don't do that. And the fault is entirely on you. And that should obviously be our message. And in those particular pictures, you can see, again, you could see what appear to be the mothers like dragging their kids through barbed wire. How is that an acceptable thing? And how is the real villain in the picture like that not incredibly obvious to everybody? All right. AP has this report. Reparations advocates uh, urge San Francisco supervisors Tuesday to adopt recommendations aimed at shrinking the racial wealth gap and otherwise improving the lives of black residents as atonement for decades of discriminatory city policies, including the granting of a lump sum $5 million payment to every eligible adult. San Francisco's Board of Supervisors was expected to vote Tuesday to accept the final reparations plan issued by the city's African-American Reparations Advisory Committee. The city has set aside $4 million to open an office of reparations, but it has not acted on major recommendations yet. Supervisor has expressed enthusiasm for reparations, but stopped short of backing individual proposals. The office of Mayor London Breed, who is black, said in a statement Tuesday that she will continue to lift up marginalized communities, but she believes that reparations are best handled at the federal level. Um, But this is the plan by the reparations committee, which does uh, so the mayor's black. Um... Presumably many, if not all of the the people on these reparations task force are also black. Uh, If these policies are put through, I assume they each get a $5 million lump sum payment as well. That's a nice deal. If you're on some government panel and you can directly like out in the open, I mean, people, uh, people in government positions profit off their positions in unethical ways all the time. But out in the open, you could just award yourself $5 million from uh, the taxpayers. So that's what's going on here. We have some clips from this meeting. I think there are are a bunch of clips, but I think we only need to play one. Uh, Here's a white woman vomiting her white guilt all over the place. Actually, not all over the place because she's wearing a mask. So uh, she she vomits it directly into her mask, which is quite disgusting. Uh, Let's watch that.
2: My father said that the family immigrated from Europe. And I'm here to say that I 100% supports reparations for black San Franciscans. It is unquestionable. Um, but it doesn't stop there with whatever white people in majority decide to give black San Franciscans. Um, it's, it's not enough. Um, and also, white supremacy has f- us up. White people. Like, Seriously. So part of the reparation should also be like really like questioning yourselves, questioning your thoughts, killing the police in your mind, not voting to give SFPD even more money to police black people, to kill black people, to keep them homeless, to put them in jails, to profit off of them even more. We need to kill that. We need to stop that. So the next time you vote to give SFPD more money instead of investing in the black community, you have failed.
0: Kill the police in your mind. Is that that's what she said? I didn't, I didn't mishear that. Kill the police in your mind is her is her plan. Uh, she's uh, there wearing the mask. Um, it is you know as always. If you're a normal person living in a somewhat normal community, and you see vi- you know video clips like that, you always think like it's it's amazing that these people actually exist. This is not just a a, a meme. Like this is a this is a. Conservative meme of a of a of a left winger come to life. Just uh, you know, it's like someone drew that and then it came to life, and you end up with that person. We've talked about reparations, of course, plenty of times in the past. It's an incoherent concept for a whole bunch of reasons, uh, starting with the fact that just because somebody is a certain race living in this country today, that doesn't mean that their ancestors were actually affected by whatever. Persecution was inflicted by on their demographic group in the past. Uh, their family might not have even been here at the time. Um, but mainly, the point is that you you cannot create a system where people are cashing in on historical wrongs. And once you create a system like that, there's really no there's no limiting principle. And and, and I think most people understand this that, that once once they start actually, so far it's just been a bunch of meetings about about reparations. No one's actually done it yet, but eventually it will. Ha- like California will be, will be the first place, and there'll be some kind of reparations plan that will actually be put into place and enacted. I don't think it's going to be five million dollars a piece, because that it, that just can't. Uh, they can't do that. It's not. It's not possible. Uh, you're you're f- just fully bankrupting the city at that point. And I know you might say, well, it's like, you know, obviously San Francisco is run by people who couldn't care less about the. Uh, you know, the future and prosperity of that city. But I think it's it's not, it probably will not be 5 million, uh, but it'll be something. And that is going to happen. And then you're going to start seeing it in other, in other towns and in other states. But it's, it's, and then that's just the, the first go round. That's the racial reparations. But then they're going to circle back around and they're going to start talking about reparations for LGBT people. And they're going to talk about reparations for women who, who uh, suffered? Uh, they will claim centuries of oppression under patriarchal systems, and so on and so forth. You know, eventually every victim group will want its uh, its bite of the apple, which which will be which will be kind of funny because then it's just going to mean that all these. It's like you give the reparations to all the all the black people, and then you come back around and you say, well, the LGBT people need reparations, and they, and they're they're like the top victims right now, so they probably need more. And then that's so now the black people have to give some of those reparations to LGBT, and then the women come in and say, well, "What about us?" And so they're all just kind of like trading the reparations money around. Or alternatively, all this will just eventually it's going to be like, of course, all this money is only coming from white men. They're the only ones who are, who are have to pay it. Um, so that's that's eventually where it goes, and it becomes this. It becomes this. Obviously, I mean, on top of being clearly unethical and wrong and immoral, that you're stealing from people today, to to address alleged wrongs that were committed by other people who aren't even alive anymore. So all the whole thing is ridiculous. It's also an unworkable system. But here's another point that um, I don't emphasize as often, which which uh, and I don't hear emphasized as often, which is that if you have self-respect. If you have any basic honor and self-respect, you shouldn't want this. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't want this. Um, if I was black, I would not want this. And I know it's easy to say, especially if there really is five million dollars on the table for free. It's easy to say, well, I wouldn't want that, but I actually wouldn't. I wouldn't want it because because the the insinuation, the premise, as always. Is that black people need $5 million apiece in order to have a fair shot. They need that kind of boost because they can't do it on their own. And, it, and there's no way they can figure out how to do it on their own. That's that is what is being it's not being implied, it's just being outright stated. It's incredibly insulting. And it's and I wouldn't want it. Because of course the reality is that I mean, you, you can you can sit around all day, trying to cash in your victim points and complaining nonstop about all the things that happened in the past that didn't even happen to you. It's like, even if even if some of these things did happen to you, I mean, even if you, there, there are no former slaves still living in America. Uh, the last one died, uh, I don't know, decades and decades and decades ago. I don't know how long ago. Um, but there, there are certainly none left. But, but even if there was like some 200-year-old a person who was alive, still living, who, who who actually themselves was a slave way back when, Like if, if they were still spending every single day of their life complaining about it, you, you you would say even to them, like it's time to move on. Even though this happened to you specifically, it was so long ago that it's time to move on, really, with your life, with whatever moment. I mean, you've had such a long life. You're 200 years old, and you've wasted the whole time complaining about this thing that happened. Um, so we would say that even to someone who actually experienced it all th- th- that, that long ago. But then the reality is that no such person is still living. So you've got people who didn't even suffer um, these these uh, this form of persecution. And yet spend every day obsessing over it. This, this is no way to live. You can live that way, or you can just go out and improve your own life on your own. Like it is actually possible to do. That's that's one strategy. All right. Here's uh, I need to make a little time for this because we've we've we have already spent uh, several segments on the show recently criticizing John Fetterman and. Now we have another opportunity to do it. I've just decided, I've just decided that, that every time, for, for as long as this broken man is still in the Senate, walking around in his wrinkled, uh, his, his, his basketball shorts and his hoodie and all that, for as long as he's there, I, I just think we just need to, we, we can't let him off the hook. So, especially in this case, because uh, John Fetterman, along with some other uh, Democrats, introduced what I think is, Certainly, in the running for one of the worst pieces of legislation in recent memory, and that that's that's actually equivocates more than it needs to. Because I think I think it might be at the it might, it might really be at the top. It might be number one on the list. So here's the bill. This is from uh, Business Insider, uh, and the headline is: Student loan payments could get easier for survivors of survivors of sexual assault if a bill introduced by Senator John Fennerman and ten other Democrats passes. Here's the uh, bill. Survivors of sexual assault, harassment, and stalking may one day have the ability to defer their student loan payments for up to three years if their ability to come to school was affected as a result. Representative Madeline Dean, Senator John Fetterman, Representative Ayanna Presley, and eight other Democrats introduced H.R. Uh, 5588 on Wednesday, days before student loan payments are set to resume on October 1st. In his endorsement of the Student Loan Deferment for Sex-Based Harassment Survivors Act, Fetterman brought up. Uh, his time away from the Senate earlier this year when he received treatment for his clinical depression. Fetterman said in a press release, getting help allowed me to be the father and husband I wanted to be and the senator that Pennsylvania deserves. I strongly encourage anyone who's struggling or in crisis to get help and extending the opportunity to our students is absolutely the right thing to do. This bill will make it possible for students to focus on their mental health without the burden of student loan payments. The bill would also change the definition of sexual violence to include sex-based harassment and allow more survivors... To access the program. Um, okay, I mean the article goes on, but there are already so many problems that we've 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 lost count. I mean, to begin with, we have John Fetterman lumping himself in to the category with the survivors of sexual assault. He's he he is very directly uh, lumping himself in with with rape survivors because he was depressed and he went to the hospital for it, and he's he's. Saying quite explicitly that he can relate to them, and he said, "Well, I got help, and you should get help too. Anyone who's struggling with a crisis, whether it's uh, someone like you who was raped and is a survivor, or someone like me who was very sad, you know, it's 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 the same," he says. Um, and on top of that, you have this. Well, the the whole idea is is insane, and it's like if you're if you're trying to do everything you possibly can to increase the number of uh, false accusations and false rate claims. You know, If that's the goal here, then I, I, I can't think of a better way to do it. And obviously on the left, that in fact is their goal. So now they're, they're creating a, a direct, explicit financial incentive. And if you want to defer your student loan payments for three, by the way, and we know what deferring means. As they say we say three years, but then once the three years come up, uh, then we'll start talking about what we should defer it some more. So it might be deferment for three years, but everyone understands that really it's indefinitely. And if you are trying to do everything you can to increase the number, to inflate the number of uh, false rape claims, then this is how you do it. A direct financial incentive. Say, well, you don't have to pay back your student loans for at least three years if you're a survivor of spe- sexual assault. Do you have to, it does, is there, is, what's the system to prove that you were a survivor? Well, we could pretty much guarantee that there's no system for that. Just, just make the claim. And then on top of that, as if that's not, not bad enough, um, and really to emphasize the point that they intend this to be just kind of like a catch-all, another way for people to avoid their financial obligations, they expand the definition of sexual violence to include sex-based harassment. And even that, even sex-based harassment is itself an expansion of sexual harassment, because when you hear the word sexual harassment, it has it's it, uh, you know it, it implies that the harassment is somehow sexual. This is like some kind of creep who's harassing someone in a sexual way. But sex-based harassment, it doesn't even have to be sexual harassment. It has to be that a woman feels like she was harassed because she's a woman. It doesn't have to be anything sexual about it. Maybe she was, uh, maybe someone interrupted her in class. And she felt like she was being interrupted because she's a woman. No way to prove that, of course, but that's how she feels. That's sex-based harassment. And now we're taking a case like that and we are including that, and that becomes sexual violence. And now that woman who was uh, interrupted in a meeting or a class, and she feels like it was because she's a woman, she is now a survivor. This is not someone who experienced an annoyance that we have all experienced It's just part of being a human being in society. No, no, no. This is a survivor now. She gets to live the rest of her life. I survived. I survived that moment. I'm, sur- I'm a survivor. And there should be a, f- a financial reward for that. And now this is, this is uh, just the same as rape. And all of that is the same as uh, John Fetterman going to the hospital because he was depressed. So, as I said, a... Uh, one of the worst pieces of legislation we've seen in a long time. Uh, John Fetterman's brain is broken, so that's his excuse for getting behind this. What about the other Democrats? I guess that's the question. Let's get to, was Walsh wrong? So we began the show yesterday with uh, a discussion about marriage and the criticisms of the institution that come now from both the left and the right. And they attack it for different reasons, but often their conclusion is basically the same, which is that modern society should effectively abandon marriage. Um, and as you might expect, a lot of people offered responses to that segment, many of them critical. I didn't go through every comment and message, obviously. I would say that from my initial skim through, the majority are against uh, me, not, not uh, well, and marriage, apparently. And which is basically what I expected, because defending the marital institution is not a popular thing these days, which to me only further proves that it needs defending. Um, especially when you consider that, you know, it wouldn't have been all that long ago, it'd be a few decades ago, or probably not even that long. If I were to do a segment saying all the same things, most people would it, it would, people would be scratching their heads like, why, did, why do you think that needs? Well, of course, why do you need to say any of that? So I'm going to read, uh, I'm gonna read a f- several of these comments, and then I'll offer a few uh, general thoughts in response. Uh, Paul Holcomb says, I really like Walsh. However, he must look at the numbers. I am not going to split hairs over whether 50% of marriages fail, no matter the number is high. And Add that to the 25% of marriages that are loveless or sexless. If my wife desires a divorce today, she will get a lawyer, government subsidized, and will take everything, including the kids. Yes, marriage is a bad deal right now. Sorry, Matt. Q Braun says, Matt simply doesn't understand what's going on. He's shilling for traditional values where there are none in today's society while still married. He doesn't understand how moderate... Okay, so you are... uh, complaining that I'm, quote, shilling for traditional values and then saying that there are none in today's society, isn't that all the more reason to shill for them? And shilling usually, that's like when you're shilling, it's a negative thing. Shilling is, is uh, that's like a scam that you're pushing. That, that's usually when you say shill, that's the connotation. So do you believe that traditional values are good or bad? You're complaining that, it, that there's not enough of them in the modern society, so would it not be... Shouldn't I be shilling them? Shouldn't I be pushing the values that we both agree are lacking in today's society? Um, he doesn't understand how modern women take all the control and ability of men by dragging them through the family courts and sending many, uh, many to barely get by, and a good number ready to self-terminate. The only way Matt could truly understand this is to one day find himself falling out of control, losing your money and savings, that for most is just enough to get by, and fantasize about ending it all when, all, mo- when uh, all most divorced men want is a loving wife and their kids. I think if Matt was forced away from his home and kids, he might be slightly more empathetic towards his fellow men who are getting shafted in society and the family courts. I know I said I'm going to read them all and then have some general thoughts, but I, I just j- uh, one point on this, because this comes up in a lot of the comments where, well, Matt, you've never been divorced, so you, you, you're not credible on this subject. It's like that's, that, this, is the, this is the way that this conversation is, is set up, right? That... Um, we talk about marriage, and it's just, it. it we, we hear nothing but doom and gloom and the absolute worst about it, and people throwing out crazy numbers, like 75% are failures, people are miserable. And if anyone comes along and says, you know, that is not my experience. Let me tell you my experience. My experience was more positive. Can I tell you about it? Again, I'm hearing all these things about marriage, but that's not my experience. I'd like to tell you about my, and the moment you do that, you're so, well, you don't understand. It's like, so you you only have a credible perspective on marriage if it fails, so if my marriage failed, then you would be fine, right, um, uh, Q Braun, You you would be fine with me talking all about my experience of a failed marriage, and it it, it would it would give me credibility. You're saying, but when I but because my marriage is not a failure, suddenly it's not it's 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 not a credible perspective. So only after it fails, then I can start talking about my own personal experience. Do you think do you see the, the what you're trying to set up here? So you, for whatever reason, you would like the picture of marriage, you, you want a very negative picture of marriage painted. And uh, so, so what you're saying is that only people who've had negative experiences can can have a credible perspective on, on the subject. Which is which is just ridiculous. Um, and there's no lack of empathy here. I don't know how many times I have to say it. You know, and as a man, we should be, you know, you, you should be less emotional and more able to understand. And uh, uh, you know, just take the words that someone's saying and understand them. Um, so I don't mean how many times I have to, to say it that yes, obviously men who are screwed by the system, many are. It's a terrible thing. It's an awful thing. I, I, I'm very empathetic about that. But I don't think that the correct response is to abandon human civilization's most fundamental institution. I, I think that that will create more suffering. That is not an empathetic view, because it creates more suffering. I want less suffering. That's my, that's my uh, position. You could disagree with it. It's hard to say that it's a position that lacks empathy, though. But one of the primary reasons I take this position is because I believe this position will lead to less suffering. So that is my objective, also. Um, <clears throat> Let's see, Uh, Brianna says, you may have been married for 10 or 15 years, but how do you know what your marriage will be like after 25 or 40 years? How many boomers over 50 have been divorced after being married for 25 uh, plus years? EB Sport News says, blaming uh, red pillars is akin to accusing them of all the ills that is associated in modern day marriage. All they do is present the current state of marriage and the divorce laws and give suggesting in some instances on how to navigate in this world. Grant says, Matt, it's easy for you to say all this. You were married years ago when things were different and you're rich. It's not so easy for young men today. That's what you don't understand. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so a few points here. First of all, just taking that last comment, I hear this a lot. Oh, you were married in a different day and age. Different for you, right? You're in a different financial position. It was a different... It was 12 years ago, okay? It, it, it was not a century ago. It was 12 years ago. And uh, it, it, it's the, it was the same culture. Okay, there, there might be some unique challenges in the, that have come up in the last several years, but it, it was basically the same culture. The divorce rates, I think back then, were actually worse than they are now, and they certainly weren't much better. They're probably basically the same. So the divorce situation was basically the same. I heard all the same stuff before I got married. All this stuff, everything that's being said now, every single thing that is being said now, I heard the same things before I got married. So it's not new. Okay? Um, the fact that the system is rigged against men. That was the case 12 years ago. Uh, living in a, in, a, in a decayed, depraved, degenerate culture. We, we lived in that culture t- 12 years ago too. Not that long ago. This didn't all start yesterday. Um, and uh in terms of the of of uh you know the financial situations, when, when I got married, I was broke. I've talked about this before, I believe when i got married i was not a person who was financially well off it might be the case that now we're we're quite financially comfortable we're blessed to be uh, to be comfortable that was not the case when we got married I, I maybe had 50 bucks to my name in my bank account if that most of the time i had 0 dollars make it or negative i was living in the negative most of the time um and that was certainly the case when we got married we were we were not in a good position financially we were in, we were very broke you know we were living in a i don't know 400, 300 square foot one bedroom apartment that was just awful, and the, the whole nine yards. We were we were broke when I got married, um, and that's why I've often said that uh, that not only do you not have to wait until you have a lot of money to get married, but uh, but oftentimes it can be better to get married before then, because then you are creating a life together, and you're, you're you are gaining all of this um, financial security and wealth together. You are succeeding together. You're walking that path together. And I think that that there are many advantages to that. Like one of the big ones, first of all, is that you don't have to worry. Like, I don't have to look at my wife and think, well, she only married me for the money. She married a guy with 50 bucks for the money. No. And, but the other big thing too, is that I know with my wife that, that because we walk this path together, um, that there's no concept of like, oh, this is mine. You know, this is my, I make the money. It's mine. It belongs to me. You don't have that kind of possessiveness because I know that I couldn't have done anything that I've done without her. I know that. I know that we did this together in a very real sense. Um, so you, do, you don't need to wait for that. I think there, there are major downsides to waiting till you're older and uh, and you have all the money that you want and everything and then you wait to get married. And one of the problems too is that you may, you may find that you you never really get to a point where you feel like you're perfectly financially secure. And then what? You just never move on to the next phase of life. Um. But the 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 fundamental point that I and I read through a lot of these comments and 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 no one answered this. And this was the point that I raised yesterday. And I always do. We can, I acknowledge that the system is broken. I acknowledge that we live in an awful decayed culture in many ways. And in the next segment, we'll, I'll give you another example to prove how decayed it is. Um, and so that's all bad news. I acknowledge that for men and women, there are some serious challenges in, in finding the right person to marry. It's not impossible. There's just challenges. And there are a lot of people walking around out there who are just broken people and have been have been you know, living in this culture, but, but not questioning it at all and floating with the tide of the culture. And they are just not the kind of people that you want to marry. It'd be, ba- it'd be a bad mistake to marry them. So the, the values that you and I have are not shared by, certainly not shared by everyone. And they're, they're probably, it's probably a minority of people at this point who share our values. So, so the, the pool's a little bit smaller to find the person who shares your values. All of that is acknowledged. So let's say that we we all agree on all of that. Okay? Now what? What what now? Now that we've all agreed on that, and we agree the system needs to be reformed, we agree on everything. Okay, now what? What do we do next? I'm not asking you what do I do next, because I'm already married with a family, and and I have a great life, and and I I enjoy my life. Okay, so I'm not saying this for my sake. I'm not saying to you, well, tell me what to do next. I'm saying for all those young men out there, what next? What now? Once we've established that, and we all agree on that, what do you want them to do now with their life? And if your answer is just to kind of like live in this state of limbo, in this kind of stasis, uh, hovering around and floating along and waiting for things to get better before they move to the next phase of their life, that is not a solution. That's not a viable solution. And that is a recipe. You are consigning these men to despair and hopelessness and failure. So when I get to the what now, once we've established everything and then the question is what now, what do you do next? A lot of the people that leave these comments, they have no answer to that at all, no answer. I at least have an answer, which is that, well, the what now is you take all these risks into account, you do what you can to protect yourself and you move forward with your life. You keep living your life. You live the life that you have a right to live that you're supposed to live, that you're called to live. And for most of us, that includes getting married and starting families. You you, you do all that in spite of these challenges, because the other option is not viable. And it's a recipe for not only individual despair and failure, but also, by the way, for the death of human civilization, which is kind of a big deal. So the next set of comments that I would love to hear from people, what I would love to read is, what is yours? If you don't like my what now, then what's yours? What do you have these young men do? How do you have them spend the next 40 years of their life, 50 years of their life? When Dr. Jordan B. Peterson made the decision to join Daily Wire Plus, it was a major win for those who championed free speech and intellectual debate. With one year of unparalleled output, his contributions have set new standards and remain unmatched by any other platform Deadly Plus has uh, now a vast array of exclusive Jordan Peterson content, offering hundreds of hours of captivating content you won't find anywhere else. Jordan has created thought-provoking works that reshape your perspective on life, which includes vision and destiny, marriage, and dragons, monsters, and men. Additionally, you can immerse yourself in discussions that nurture your spiritual side, like Logos and Literacy and Jordan's groundbreaking series on the book of Exodus, it's only the beginning. I haven't even mentioned his Beyond Order lecture series or his extensive archives of lectures and podcasts. This is the absolute compendium of all things Jordan. Plus, there's even more new exclusive content on the horizon. By becoming a Daily Wire Plus member, you'll embark on an unforgettable experience that will fuel your thirst for knowledge and inspire personal growth like never before. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe to become a member today. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Today for the Daily Cancellation, we have a show that was made for this segment. It is destined to be canceled, canceled here, and hopefully in a more literal sense as well. Though on that latter point, I don't have much hope. I think it's uh, more likely that this show will run for 45 seasons and garner millions of devoted fans because that's the kind of culture we live in. But the show, uh, which has just been added to HBO Max, is called Naked Attraction. And it's exactly what it sounds like. It's an uncensored, full-frontal, nude dating show. Reading from The Hollywood Reporter, it says, quote, one of the UK's most infamous dating shows was quietly added to the Mac streaming service last week, and it's already causing quite a stir. The streamer has imported six seasons of Naked Attraction, a game show that promises to start where a good date often ends, naked. In each episode, a single chooser critiques and eliminates six potential dates standing on a stage by scrutinizing their fully nude bodies, which are gradually revealed one part at a time. Faces are revealed last. When only two potential dates remain, the chooser strips out of their own clothes to giving the remaining two contestants the opportunity to critique them. The final couple then go out on a date with their clothes on. The episodes on Max are uncensored, but I've added a warning at the beginning of each episode. So revealing the face last is a nice touch, uh, in case you didn't already get the message based on the whole premise of the show. The point here is to totally objectify these people. It's to remove their humanity entirely. You're judging each individual body part before you even see their faces. They are, until that point, nothing more than faceless collections of limbs and organs. Of course, the participants are volunteering for this objectification, so they're not victims. Uh, The victim here is society, the culture, which suffers yet another blow. That's why, as we're told, uh, some HBO Max customers are not very happy to find this garbage on their platform. But plenty of others, unfortunately, yet predictably, are thrilled. Quote, many are defending the show. Uh, uh, Quote, despite the nudity, it isn't supposed to be titillating or dramatic or anything. The contestants are just normal people, with normal flaws, and the format promotes an open, healthy discussion of sex with the participants, wrote a viewer on Reddit. "Yes, because this is how you have a healthy conversation about sex. You have it naked on camera. That's the best way to have a health, you know, every healthy conversation, that's how you have, that's, that's, that's the, 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 the beginning point for any healthy conversation is that it happens naked on camera. Anyway, a lot of Americans might actually benefit from seeing this, opined another. other. There's a surprising diversity of contestants, bodies, and tastes talked about pretty matter-of-factly. And another, it's nice to see because the media and uh, XXS has conditioned us to see bodies in a certain unrelatable way, usually too perfect an airbrush. And on ABC's The View on Monday, Sonny Hostin said, uh, I'm embarrassed to admit my husband, Emmanuel, and I got so obsessed with the show, we binged it yesterday. And I learned things I've never heard of in my life. It was one of the most fascinating things I've ever seen. Yes, fascinating is one way to describe it. Another word you could use is disgusting, depressing, dismal, dystopian, lots of uh, D words. And just so you understand how dismally dystopian this is, here's the censored version of the trailer for the show. Watch. In this dating show, we go back to basics.
2: Are you ready?
0: Bring on. And
1: start where a good date often ends. Uh... (gasps) Naked. Didn't know where to look. I
2: where look. I've never been faced with six. B- no, but I feel like I should have done. What
1: do men and women really find physically attractive? Wow. This is fantastic. And could picking a partner based solely on their natural beauty could be a grower. help us find the one?
2: I've never met anybody like this before, and I don't know where to look
1: let's find out by dating in reverse.
2: Who are you going to pick to your date? This
1: is the hardest decision of my life, oh my God. Naked attraction.
0: So we see that the uh, naked people are literally kept in boxes and the lid on the box opens slowly so each body part is revealed and judged separately. And those rejected then must suffer the humiliation of not only being rejected, but being rejected while naked in front of an audience of thousands. It's the kind of thing you'd expect to exist in the universe of some kind of dystopian sci-fi film. This is something that would have made sense in idiocracy, except it would have been a little too dark for that movie, and as it turns out, all too real. So what can we learn from this show? Um, Well, nothing at all, obviously, but a couple of things we already knew can come into sharper focus. And the first is that, of course, we live in a horrifically malformed and decayed culture. In fact, it's decayed to such an extent that it can barely be called a culture at all. You know, if you leave the apple on the counter for too long, it'll start to rot. And if you let it rot for too long, eventually it'll not really be an apple anymore. It'll be nothing more than a pile of putrid mush. And that's the stage that we've reached with our culture. We have reached putrid mush stage. We are existing not in a culture, but in the remnants of what was once a culture, a show Uh, like this could not exist in a country that had any sort of vibrant real culture. This can only grow out of a culture's decomposing remains. Um, That's not to say that naked attraction is somehow significantly worse than what what has come before it. I mean, there are uh, millions of reality dating shows, and they're all degenerate and stupid. And in terms of the nudity, we live in a country where, where millions of people have been watching hardcore porn since they were young children. Full frontal nudity in a reality show, it's almost quaint by comparison. Which is why it's funny that one of those comments on Reddit that said, you know, Americans could really, uh, yeah, this is something they need to see. Yeah, you know, because Americans aren't seeing enough nudity. That, that's the big problem in our, in our society right now, is that Americans haven't seen enough nude people. So this is not another stage in our slip, slide down the slippery slope. We are at the bottom of the slope, and this is just another thing getting tossed into the muck. And this all sounds uh, really bleak and, and discouraging, I realize, but, well, it's a bleak and discouraging thing. I don't know what else to tell you. The good news, though... And yes, I am straining to come up with the good news, but, but here's something. That's that you can use um, these depraved, idiotic dating reality shows, especially one like Naked Attraction, as a very accurate roadmap towards healthy and productive dating. And I'm not suggesting that you actually watch any of these shows. And I'm certainly not suggesting that you model your dating life after anything on these shows. They are a roadmap, but they're an inverted roadmap. So you can look at what they do, and just do the exact opposite of that. So consider the naked, faceless people in boxes being chose based on a close inspection of their bare body parts. And you can choose your date in exactly the opposite kind of way. You can take into account the full person. And by that, I don't mean their full naked body. I mean, uh, consider what sort of person this is. Their value system, their character. Is the person honest, forthright, intelligent? Do we share the same fundamental belief system? Are our basic priorities and principles aligned? Of course, physical attraction is important, but it's only one ingredient in the recipe that makes for a successful relationship, which leads to a successful marriage. That's the other crucial factor that I'm pretty certain doesn't come up in the Naked People in Boxes show, is that when you're dating, you should see it as a courtship process leading towards marriage, and you should be looking for someone who views dating the same way. Again, do the opposite of what our decayed pseudo-culture suggests. Which is easier said than done, perhaps, but also it's the only way. And that's why HBO Max and their dystopian naked dating show is today canceled. That'll do it for the show today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed.